0: Hello, everybody. This is Mike Fosch. and Brian Weed, and we are talking about Calvary Distinctives 2.0. Hello, hello. And this chapter is chapter two of Calvary Distinctives, the book, and the chapter is church government here. So um, the first thing before we even jump into it Uh, I want to say is, and Chuck Smith says this on page 19, we recognize, Chuck says, that the New Testament doesn't give a clear, definitive statement of God's preference for church government. So, yeah, this is is not something that's 100% clear. We all know there's all types of arguments around church government, but we do believe we see some things in Scripture related to church government. So, uh, I want to also admit, before we move forward here, I'll give another summary of what Chuck sees here. But we would just say, as a background, the New Testament clearly teaches the appointing of bishops and pastors and elders, as the words are used interchangeably, for the leadership of those church, and that those leaders are appointed for the practical outworking of the government of the church. And how that works is sometimes vague, but that's, that's what we kind of see here. So We all agree Christ is the head of the church in all things. The Holy Spirit, this is what we talked about before, and only the Holy Spirit calls and gifts men to pastor the body of Christ. And Jesus Christ, through His Spirit, brings along and gives all those necessaries, all those that are necessary, and all the gifts that are necessary, to build up the body of Christ into that mature man. Which is where the Moses model will come in, although I think it's a little overblown in some ways. So, in terms of summary, again, I want to kind of give a summary of Chuck's thought on the passage. Then we'll look at the biblical basis, and then we'll talk about his applications again. Chuck's summary is basically this, and this is from page 29. So when we came to Calvary Chapel and established the bylaws, we didn't create a Presbyterian form of government. It was more of an Episcopal form of government for Calvary Chapel. We believe that God's model is that the pastors ruled by the Lord aided by the elders to discover the mind and will of Jesus Christ for his church. This, in turn, is implemented by the assistant pastors. So, what the New Testament, in terms of a biblical basis, teaches us about church government is simply this. What we can say is that elders were appointed and organized to shepherd the church of God. I'm going to read these, Acts 4.23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Acts 16.4. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. Acts 20.17. From Miletus, Paul sent to, the, to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. For Titus 1.5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I command you. And first Peter one five, I think this is a huge one here, this first Peter Peter who is an apostle, sees himself as an elder. He says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, and Peter goes on then to talk about how they shepherd the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers, and they do that until the chief shepherd appears. 1 Peter 5 there, really 1 through 4. So that's kind of the layout there. Um, In terms of applications, I'll just say this before we jump in. Chuck is admittedly unclear about the distinctions that he sees between bishops and elders and assistant pastors. He uses those words through the whole thing. He doesn't give a a lot of clear distinction between them because the main point he's trying to make here is that all things being equal, being what they're supposed to be, right? The pastor's not in sin or whatever. We're not talking about uh, a situation that things are falling apart. The senior pastor should have leeway to be led of the spirit and not under the authority of a separate outside group. And the assistant pastors God has brought along should be happy to help, and they're gifted of God to help that work. So uh, this is where he gives the example of not being able to be led of the Spirit to even set up chairs in a circle. He talks about one Sunday, just deciding he wants to put the chairs in a circle and have everybody kind of sing acapella and then pray. And afterwards, the board comes to him and says, yeah, we don't like that. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> right. Even the quote, Mike, that you, that you
1: took as, a, as the encapsulation from page 29, it starts out with the word so. So when we came to the Chapel. And the reason it does is because the paragraph before is where he's talking about th- those situations where he believes, he, from his life, situations where he was like, oh, God's doing this great thing. And then a board comes because he was under a board at the time before he a Cavage Chapel yeah. and said, don't do that anymore. And so he writes... I thought this might be my life's ministry, but it won't be. I'm not going to be under those kinds of restrictions. I must be open to be led by the spirit. So when we came to Calvary Chapel and established the bylaws, we didn't create a prison yeah. term. So his point is, his point is he kept running into, we were talking about this. It was, it was a church government model worked out in the midst of constant roadblocks surrounded by people who weren't pastors, maybe didn't have the same kind of heart for the church, didn't understand what the spirit was doing. And for whatever reason, didn't like the freedom Chuck wanted to exercise and he needed to be free of that. He needed to be free to go pursue where this, just like we talked about last time, the spirit was leading to do things simply and let God work. And he kept having people come in and say, you can't do it that way. So finally he was like, I'm not going to be under a board. Yeah. Which really I think is a lot of what he's arguing for here. He's saying, don't let yourself as the pastor of the church be put under the authority of people who they're not even pastors. They're just a, I guess, an organizational board that would have
0: authority. So, you know, and again, there's a lot of uh, grief on the outside in terms of Chuck's uh, use of the Moses model illustration, which is where it comes in here, I think. What he's trying to say is the senior pastor or the guy that God has used to start the work is a type of episcopus to the assistant pastors, particularly as a spiritual father, which Paul was, It's all through the New Testament. He picked an Old Testament example. It doesn't mean there is no New Testament examples. There are plenty of guys who help Paul do his work, and Paul would send them here and there, and he calls himself a spiritual-type father to these guys. So Chuck's not saying that there is no biblical correction or any type of people who can talk to the senior pastor if he does something wrong or that there's nothing that can be done for sinning senior pastors in church government.
1: Yeah, he's not saying a pastor occupies the same spiritual authority that Moses—identical spiritual authority that Moses occupied with the children of Israel. He's saying, look at the structure that there kind of was for Israel in the time of Moses. That structure seemed to work really well.
0: I think that's really the the heart of what he's saying. So, yeah— it's clear in the scripture that qualifications assume disqualifications. When we already talked about the qualifications of pastors or elders or bishops, first Timothy five verses 19 through 22 are very clear that elders are supposed to deal with the issues with other elders. So when there's a uh, accusation to be brought against an elder, it says you bring that to the other elders and when they need to be reproved, the other elders are the ones reproving that elder. So, you know, I think in even in that, you have the backing of what we're talking about here, which is the issues in the church are brought to the elders. The elders are the ones overseeing the church. The pastors are dealing with issues with other pastors. That's That's what the scripture gives us. And... Uh, again, when Chuck brings in the Moses model, he's he's just trying to show what I think happens kind of in real time experience when God does a work. So again, it's important to note the Moses model is not the only thing Chuck says about church government in this chapter, and it's not it's not the whole thing. The what typically happens in real time experience, at in least a, in Calvary Chapel, especially in Calvary Chapel too. But I think really. You could say this about John Piper. You could say it about Tim Keller. Mm -hmm. You could say this about all different different types of people. In real-time experience, a godly man is called of God. He's gifted by the Holy Spirit, and he's directed to start a work. The person begins that work. Then God brings along a team of other people to help him in that work, to be in addition to what he is doing, they're not supposed to take his place. They're supposed to help. Like in the Old Testament with Moses or the priests with Aaron, they weren't supposed to take Aaron's place. They were there to help Aaron. Or in the New Testament, nobody was there to take Paul's place. But there's plenty of guys that were there to help Paul and to be an addendum to what God was doing. So that the Holy Spirit bringing these people along Helping, not usurping, is what we see with Moses. We see it with David. God giving him all these guys to help him out in his kingdom, on purpose, giving them the right heart for it. We see it with Paul the apostle. It's just, it's just a real time explanation of what we actually see in real life. And
1: and again, it's a real time explanation of what Chuck experienced as the Spirit moved and what he saw as many more Calvary chapels were planted. You had sort of this replication, of this experience where someone said, well, I want to go plant a church over here an hour away. And he was like, all right, go see what happens. And 500 people showed up. And that guy had been walking with Jesus maybe longer than any of those people, or at least he understood more clearly what God was doing there. He's the pastor. He's the leader. And maybe there's no one really there with that kind of vision or experience or insight. So... He, he doesn't need to sweat it. That's what God did, and God's using him, and people come along to help. And so, again, this chapter is a lot about Chuck describing what, what actually happened. And again, Mike, just to circle back for one second to something you were saying, your point about the fact that elders can come and confront and even rebuke a pastor, a fellow elder, as Peter says, shows that there. Chuck realized, the Bible recognizes, there There are differences with Moses. In the Old Testament, if you went and you confronted Moses, yeah. <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> it didn't go well. The earth opened up and <laughs> swallowed you. Why? Because he was the mouthpiece of, he was the prophetic mouthpiece of God writing scripture. And so... I I do think that, as you said, Mike, some of the dust around the the phrase Moses model is because of the particular place Moses himself occupied. And no one is saying that we have, you know, a thousand Moseses running around in the exact same place as Moses with a thousand Calvary chapels. it it was about structure that Chuck was after there. How do you structure an Episcopal form of church government, which everyone would acknowledge is a valid form of church government biblically. And he just said, this is the one that's worked for us, and so here's how we structure it. Kind of like what Moses had. And I think that when you see it that way, it takes a little bit of the 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 energy out of yeah. this discussion.
0: Yeah, I think one of the problems is, and we would admit this, that there have been abuses to this where guys who are in sin will say crazy stuff like you can't touch the Lord's anointed or they think that the ground will open up and swallow somebody else or they've abused their power, which everybody would have to admit, although I would also want to throw in there, it's not because it's Calvary Chapel. This happens in every single form of church government. Every form, right. We could all list the names, even in our day and age, where we see this, where it's not even somebody caught in adultery or stealing money. It's just they've been abusive or bullies, or they just lost their godly character, or they've become drunks, or there's all different types of things where that person who was at the head of the church, no matter what type of church government they had to structure around them, there's nothing that can keep a person from sinning who is in spiritual authority. So I think the problem is there's no church, there's no form of church government that solves abuse or cuts it out, right? So yes, this, what we would say, and we just use the word Moses model, but we would say an episcopal form of government, this can be abused. But the question is, should it be changed or ignored simply because it can be abused? Is there a different, better, better, biblical thing to do. And I think this is where people come into the problem. You're in a church. The pastor was crazy. It came out to light. And now you feel like, man, I don't want to go anywhere where somebody doesn't have more more accountability over right. them. And then, so what you want to do is you want to bring in an outside board. People's, people's only answer is, not what does the, the scripture say. It's, I want to bring in an outside board to keep... Because I don't trust this guy who might be leading things, no matter where that guy came from or what he looks like. And then, unfortunately, we find ourselves in an unbiblical position because the scriptures are really clear that the authority and trust for the leadership of a church should lie in the elders, and not a place outside of that. Again, you can look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7, 17 and 24. All of those passages mention the people that Paul or the writer is writing to. Acknowledging there are people over you in the Lord. There are people leading you in the Lord. And to even love those people and hold them in high esteem. So... We can say, man, there are abuses of this, just like there were abuses of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the Corinthian church. But Paul didn't then say, man, we need an outside group to control the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The abuses of something don't mean that we should then all of a sudden change the way something works. So should we be on our guard? Sure. But we can recognize, yes, It is possible for a person to be gifted of the Lord, start really well, gain a spiritual following, and then use that influence in a negative way and disqualify themselves because they abuse what's been given to them. But the answer to that is not, let's throw out all authority lying in the elder or the pastor. And and this is part of what we've been saying in every episode. Could it be
1: that a particular structure of any given church— lends itself to this kind of abuse? Yes, if it's if it's a non-biblical outworking of that structure. Sure. We're saying there is a biblical outworking of, or a biblical model for the episcopal form of church government, and you just said yeah. it. It's to acknowledge that the authority in the local church is invested in the elders. That's a plural word, which even if you don't have a a plural form of church government, it means there are people, there are men who have the authority to confront whoever may be acting as a senior pastor type in an episcopal church government if there's any issues. So if if you have a church government where that cannot happen, sure, if that guy's totally godly, it's st- it's still going to be fine. Sure. But if he's not, well then you're going to run into problems. But but that's because you didn't listen to the scripture and establish a biblical form of your church
0: government. Sure. Yeah, I think it's logical to say we ought to be able to trust the elders as examples of our church. That's what what the Bible gives us. It gives us qualifications for these guys. They should be blameless. They should be examples, as Peter says to the church. It's illogical to say we have to take the oversight and authority away from the men who are qualified and gifted of the Holy Spirit to have it and place that authority in the hands of those who are not qualified and gifted to have it Just to keep people from abusing it. Which is, I think we're saying the heart of this chapter. Yeah. Chuck in this book. Yeah. So again, the Moses model, overblown in the sense of trying to say every senior pastor is Moses and has the mouth of God and should never be talked about. It's simply an acknowledgement that God uses certain men as leaders And brings other men around to help them. And there's a real-time aspect of how that works out. And that even happens in the New Testament with elders and guys who start a work of God. So, you know, Chuck does discuss having a board as a type of buffer between the church and pastor but again, he's he's suggesting the way that he used the board then. He had a board. And,
1: what did he do with it? Yeah,
0: what did he do with it as opposed to the one that he was clearly against? What's clear is that the spiritual leadership and decision-making was strictly in the hands of the pastors of the church, not this board of outside people. So, again, we don't see scripturally a board of men... Uh, or even a whole congregation, it's pretty clear that we don't see the congregational rule as a biblical form of church government through the chapter, are supposed to take precedence over the leadership of the pastors. The biblical authority to oversee the decisions of the church lays with the elders, be it one or many as the situation requires. If you have a board, they can assist. We have a financial board here, guys in it, that help us make decisions but they don't take precedent over the pastoral leadership. Those decisions are to be made by men gifted of the Holy Spirit and who have proved out their character. So certainly, again, that's not to say that there can't be problems. I think one of the big problems is churches take guys who haven't ever really met the qualifications of what a pastor is supposed to be. I. I would also say they haven't given them any time to live that out. You know, one of the things we do do at Calvary Chapel is we typically want to see a person live it out as opposed to just take a a dossier or, you know what I mean, some type of form and say, okay, you kind of met these checks, we'll hire you.
1: That's actually a really good point. I don't know, because I don't know how every church does it, if that is a distinctive of of Calvary Chapel right now. I tend to think it is, uh, that if you end up in leadership, at least to Calvary Philly, it's almost always because you've been here, or at least we've known you for a long time. And so there's this natural sort of, I want to say vetting, but that sounds kind of harsh process where we're just, we're just getting to see the young man and then the not so young man. And then like, yep, obviously there's gifts here. And therefore the, the government of the church in that sense, grows out, grows out of the congregation, kind of like when the apostles say to the people, choose out seven men from among yourselves. Like, we need these guys. The apostles said it, but the people knew, oh, well, it's these seven guys. These guys are awesome yeah.
0: because they knew them. Yeah. They had, they had already lived that character out. They want to see that, which is part of the qualifications mentioned in both Timothy and Titus, that faithfulness has already been on display in real-time action with people. So uh, we do believe that should be a part of it. I think um, on top of that, again, it's important to mention, even if people have that outside board, that board can also be corrupted. I have friends, and I'm sure you know people that are in other denominations who have been under boards that the people aren't even saved. We've seen boards hire and fire pastors who are solid guys, boards that are super liberal, that don't want to have any type of godly influence brought in. They just want to keep mm-hmm. their own thing. So there's, there's not an answer to what could be abused in terms of seeing somebody as a spiritual leader in a church. The scriptures just acknowledge that that can happen. And then it talks about the elders being the ones who deal with it. That's the scriptural basis. So I think people have a lot of ideas, even people who, who might get upset about this. They have a lot of ideas, and particularly it's because they've been in real situations where people have abused it. Nobody's denying that, and it's a shame. But there's not a better answer, and to go outside of it, we then double our problem because not only are we not trusting what God tells us to trust, we're putting our trust in something that God isn't going to be behind if we believe he has set up a particular group for the oversight of the church. So, again, just to finish, the the mechanic structure isn't clear, and I think that was simply necessary for church history because the church is so different all over the world. This is a key point, I think. Uh, All over the world. So... Some need bishops over an area with just a little bit of leadership, like Titus getting sent to Crete to put things in order because things are out of order. You and I, I know, have both been in Africa where we talk with guys who are pastors over five congregations.
1: Five churches, yeah. yeah.
0: And there's nobody there. So they have to do it. They would love to have an elder <laughs> that they could ordain or set up in another one of these congregations to take it, but they end up being, in essence, an episcopos of an area because they have to be. Or we see larger men or larger groups of bodies. Maybe more mature bodies. More mature bodies of believers with more mature men in leadership. And there's a multiplicity there because there's so much going on, which we see in Jerusalem or Antioch or Ephesus. You could call for the elders of Ephesus and bring them. And which we see in America where there's larger churches. There's a lot of things going on. There's a number of mature men there. And those guys can serve with more than one guy in a particular area running something. So I think that some of this God just knew. His the, the kind of nebulous nature to some of this is because God knew it was going to have to morph in different times, in different places, and through history. Yeah, it wasn't like he forgot to write that part of the Bible. Yes, and then exactly. afterwards, like,
1: oh, I never told him what church government was. Nope, this is all part of God's word. Vagueness is just as intentional as exactness.
0: Yeah, so you know, again, we know this is this could be a little bit of a uh, one of the more controversial ones. Chuck's view on the Moses model here, um, I think that should be acknowledged. But uh, what the scriptures teach in that we believe is very clear is that the elders have the oversight and the authority of the Of the church, we see the episcopal form of that particularly in the real-time outworking of how God calls an individual and brings other individuals along to help them. And then it's a little bit up in the air after that because God knew it would have to be up in the air, depending on the situation uh, and how far that influence reaches. You know, We're not sure, but we believe the Holy Spirit can lead individuals, and he will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, which particularly, I like the example of Paul and Apollos at the end of 1 Corinthians Paul tells Apollos he wants him to do something, and he admits Apollos didn't do it. Apollos didn't listen to me. Yeah, <laughs> and they're still friends. That wasn't a crisis in church government. It wasn't a. Tr- it wasn't a crisis in church government. So, you would think if there was the ultimate bishop, it would be Paul the apostle. But Apollos was led of the Lord and God. We know God was working through him in church history. So, you know uh, how that all works out. Again, we're not hundred percent sure, but I believe we can say it's a, it's a distinctive of Calvary that there should be no outside group that takes precedence or authority over the pastoral leadership of a church. So, you guys got questions about that? Again, uh, if you want to shoot us an email, we'll throw this in there sometime. You can reach us here. ccphilly.org is the church website, beweed at ccphilly.org, mfosh at ccphilly.org. If you have questions at the end on any of these, maybe we'll collect some and do a a final follow up episode yes all right god bless see you